0: You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. In uh, 1947, a Bedouin shepherd boy had lost his goat on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. The goat had run into a cave above the sea and to... Uh, scare the goat out of this cave, which was up high. This Bedouin picked up a stone and threw it into the cave, and it didn't make the right kind of sound when it landed. Curious, he scrambled up the rock and into the cave, and what he found, of course, uh, was far more important than his goat. He found a a ceramic jar, and inside the jar, a, a scroll. And as it turned out, Archaeologists would find in 10 caves over 50,000 sacred uh, texts. We call them the Dead Sea Scrolls in the uh, location now known as Qumran. Those scrolls have um, bits as small as your thumb, uh, bits or large stretches as long as 30 uh, feet long from every book of the Bible except for Esther and uh, many writings of a a community uh, that apparently lived in this place and saw themselves as a sacred uh, community. Fascinating texts. And you may have uh, uh, had an opportunity to see some of them because just a few years ago, for the first time, Uh, Some of these texts came to Seattle, came to the West Coast, and and, uh, were here at the Seattle Science Center. And if you went to this, you could just marvel at the complexity and the beauty and the reverence with which these texts were copied. They're the works of sacred hands. And uh, there were other things that we discovered in this site, uh, among them... Uh, these little pits in the ground with steps that go down. And uh, we think that they were what's called uh, mikvot. Um, places for ritual washing, bathings. You could walk down. And in fact, the community regularly, the Essenes, who may likely have been the people who lived there, would wash daily. To try to cleanse themselves. Because they wanted to be a sacred people. They read the texts of the ancient prophets That said someday there will come in the wilderness uh, the Messiah. And they wanted to be ready. So they washed and purified themselves again and again and again. Uh, The other thing that uh, we found, there were certain artifacts of daily life. And as I walked through uh, this exhibit, which I attended in San Diego when it was there. The thing that moved me the most was not the texts as beautiful as they were. I mean, what I found most emotionally evocative was a single sandal, just a leather sandal, and it, it was the kind of thing that you, if you could go down to the Ave and buy something very similar, except that it was about eight inches long—a very small. A foot would have fit in there, but it worked kind of like a flip flop would work with the. Uh, three holes in a sole with um, straps that would come up near the heel and be bound between the two front toes in the front. But it had some ornate decorations on it, but it was a very common thing and it was something uh, for the feet. For me, the sacred text spoke of the aspirations of the people and the work of their hands. But this sandal reminded me of how mundane Daily life can be how simple just walking in an artifact, something for our feet. You and I, I think, tend to feel differently about our hands than our feet. I don't know that it's fair and I don't think it's always true, but oftentimes we see our hands as these sort of uh, performative tools that uh, apply themselves at the behest of our desires towards the better intentions that we carry through life. Our hands are things that hold on to styluses and styli and parchment and write sacred notes. Our hands are things that hold on to a sacred meal at a table and eat. Our hands are things that hold on to people when we want to love them or greet them or welcome them. Our hands are things that we use to hold on Even to God himself. As we pray. But our feet. Our feet receive. Less than half as much honor. As our hands. And we feel differently about them. When we gather for a meal. In in the first century in the ancient Near East. We didn't sit at chairs. We would lie on uh, pillows and couches around a table. And our hands would be in the center at the table with the food, but our feet would uh, fall out away from the table. And you wouldn't want your face in somebody else's feet. As a rule, we tend to keep our faces away from our feet. Our face contains so many objects of sense perception, and our feet so unattractive and odious. The only time we see a face near a feet, usually in the biblical story, is when um, we have put our feet on the neck or the head of our enemy. To shame them. Such is the use of a foot. In the biblical scriptures, uh, the the feet can speak of a euphemism uh, uh, for the genitals. So to speak of covering one's feet or uncovering one's feet uh, is to speak of covering or uncovering what might be shameful socially in a situation. It's our feet. Our feet tell a story. Our feet tell a story of our lives. It's when we're born, they're beautiful, these feet. Those little pearly toes are so precious. Who doesn't love to grab the toes of a baby. But few of us want to grab the feet of an aged man. Um, callous, bunions, broken and bent by the years. The, the, the journey between these two extremes is the story of one's life and The story of one's wanderings and our feet take us into places. Sometimes we don't know how we got there and we wish we hadn't. We don't want to tell that story ever again. The scriptures will use the feet as a metaphor for living, especially in the in the wisdom literature. It's our feet that walk in the ways of folly. It's our feet that have us standing in the path of sinners. When we run after evil, it's our feet that carry us that way. We we even follow steps down to Sheol, and to death itself. Wherever we walk in our open-toed sandals, we find ourselves walking through the dust of death and it sticks. It adheres to our feet and... We don't have easy ways of removing it. And so, of course, Peter, when he when he's lying at the table, he sees Jesus taking off his robe, wonders what for. And then his suspicion gets confirmed all the more when Jesus takes up a towel and wraps the towel around himself and begins to pour water into a bowl. Jesus. You're not going to wash feet, are you? And this is a menial task. The rabbis tell us that it, wouldn't, it wasn't right even to force your slave to wash feet. Water should be provided, but let a man, let a woman wash her own feet. Who should touch somebody else's shame? Who should be forced into the presence of somebody's feet? And Peter, Peter says, I... I don't want the Lord to see my feet. I don't want his person near that part of myself. Let him come to my hands. Let him come to that place where I hold on to those things that he and I both value. We share these things together. See the things in my hands. But my feet tell a different story. They betray me. And yet the scripture tells us that Jesus came to love us and to love his own to the very end. Jesus seems to know here that the father has given all things into his hands. And to say that the father has given all things into the hands of Jesus, I think, is to say that the father has given all things that Jesus might make them sacred. Peter would like to protect Jesus. He's always trying to protect Jesus from suffering from the cross and now from his own sin. But Jesus says, no, Peter, unless I wash you, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. And so the one who takes all things into his hands now takes into his hands your feet and mine to wash them, to make them and us clean. This is the nature, the shocking, scandalous nature of his love. We call this evening uh, the gathering. And we're gathering as a family as we begin the 40 days of Lent. We're going to share these 40 days together together. As I hope you know, in a new way, in small groups and, of course, in large group here as we worship on Sunday. And any time a family would gather, any kind of family, extended or otherwise, in a community, there would be water for washing to cleanse oneself and prepare. So we come tonight, uh, Ash Wednesday, as Dave has told us, to recognize the limitations of our mortality and our sinfulness Not simply to recognize those things, but to celebrate and and worship the one who does something about them. The greatest way to honor Jesus Christ is to let him fulfill his intention in your life. And he intends to make you clean. Jesus wants us to know how to live as forgiven people. No, Jesus wants us to live as forgiven people. And it's uh, true that the only way to live as a forgiven person is first to see yourself as sinful. That's the first step. So tonight we will wrestle to see ourselves in just that way. Prayerfully guided, strengthened by the spirit. We will take uh, the dust of death from the ground and we'll apply it to our foreheads. But it will be applied This stuff from beneath our feet in the shape of a cross, because it will signify a confession of faith that Jesus Christ is the one who takes the cross upon himself and puts it on us. And in so doing is the one who is able to make us a sacred people in his hands. Oh, and there's one last thing. And that is that. To not wash your feet in the ancient world was a sign of mourning. It's what you would do when you were stricken with grief, for which you had no remedy. And so tonight, to celebrate that our feet, indeed our heads and hands and whole bodies have been cleansed by the death of Jesus Christ, is to mourn no more, but to live in newness of life, because He, our Savior, is risen. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because you have loved us to the end and love us even tonight, you have poured out your Spirit and you are here with us present. You have gathered us. You are the one speaking deep into our souls. You are the one who invite us tonight to confess our sin and in so doing to be released from it. As we believe in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has died for us and who lives for us. So gather us to him. So free us for the act of repentance and faith. We pray it in Jesus name and for his sake.